Chapters twenty seven and twenty eight of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty seven. The Hunted Soldier. The sun was just rising, and his red beams gilded the summits of the Allegheny Mountains, which in the glory of the early morning seemed as calm and peaceful as if their lofty heights had never looked down upon scenes of carnage and strife or their tangled passes and dark ravines sheltered poor starving frightened wretches fleeing for their lives and braving death in any form rather than be recaptured by their merciless pursuers there were several of these miserable men hiding in the mountain passes now prisoners escaped from salisbury and other points but our story now has to do with but one and that a young man with a look of determination in his eye and the courage of a samson in his heart he had suffered incredible hardship since the day of his capture he had been stripped at once of his handsome uniform by the brutal texans who found him upon the field his gold which he carried about his person into every battle had been taken from him and in this condition he had been sent from one prison to another until salisbury received him at first he had suffered but little mentally for the ball which struck him down had left him with his reason impaired and to him it was all the same whether friend or foe had him in keeping deprived of everything which could mark his rank as an officer and always insisting that his name was rose he passed for a demented creature whom the brutal soldiery delighted to torment gradually however his reason came back and he woke to the full horrors of his condition then like a caged lion he chafed and fumed and resolved to be free he could not die there knowing that far away there was a blithesome little woman waiting for his coming if indeed she had not ceased to think of him as among the living a state of things which he thought very probable as he became aware of the fact that no one of his companions was acquainted with his real name rose was the only cognomen by which he was known and the proud man shivered every time he heard that dear name uttered by the coarse jesting lips around him a horrid suit of dirty grey had been given him in place of the stolen uniform and though at first he rebelled against the filthy garments he began ere long to think how they might aid him in his escape inasmuch as they were the garb of the confederates day and night he studied the best means of escape until at last the attempt was made and he stood one dark rainy night out on the highway a free man breathing the pure breath of heaven and ready to sell his life at any cost rather than go back again to the prison he had left he had put his trust in god and god had raised him up a friend at once who had seen him leave the prison and greatly aided him in his escape just as he had aided others knowing the while that by doing so he was putting his own life in jeopardy but a staunch unionist at heart he was willing to brave everything for the cause and it was through his instrumentality and minute directions that will mather had finally reached the shelter of the mountains which separate north carolina from tennessee he had found friends all along the route true loyal men who had perilled their lives for him brave tender women whose hands had ministered so kindly to his wants and who had so cheerfully divided with him their scanty meals even though hunger was written upon their thin haggard faces and stared in their sunken eyes and will had taken down each name and registered a vow that if ever he reached the north these noble self-denying people should be rewarded and if possible removed from a neighbourhood where they suffered so much from privation and from the hands of their former friends who suspecting their sentiments heaped upon them every possible abuse ragged bareheaded footsore and worn he came at last at the close of a june day to the entrance of a cave in the hills to which he had been directed 
and where on the damp earth he slept so soundly from fatigue and exhaustion that the morning sun was shining through the entrance to the cave and a robin on a shrub growing near was trilling its morning song ere he awoke the air though damp from the water which trickled through the rocks was close and stifling and will crept cautiously out from his hiding-place and sitting down upon the ground drank in the beauty and stillness of the summer morning exactly where he was he did not know but he felt certain that his face was toward the land where the stars and stripes were waving and a thrill of joy ran through his veins as he thought of home and rose whose eyes by this time had grown so dim with looking for him god take me safely to her he whispered when up the mountain-side came the sound of voices and the tramp of feet creeping to the farthest side of the cave and crawling down beneath the shelving rock where the cool waters were dripping he hoped to avoid being seen up to this moment will's courage had never flagged but now when the federal lines were not many miles away and rose and home seemed certain he felt a great pang of fear and his white lips whispered god pity me god help me god save me for his own glory if not for rose's sake then knee-deep in the pool of water he stood with his body nearly double while the voices and the feet came nearer and at last stopped directly in front of his hiding-place there were terrible oaths outside and bitter denunciations were breathed against any luckless union man who might be lurking near and then the light from the entrance of the cave was wholly obscured and will saw that a man's back was against the opening as if someone were sitting there did they know of the cave would they come in there and if they did would they find him will kept asking himself these questions and his breath came gaspingly as he knew that the man whose back barred the entrance to his hiding-place was the bitterest in his invectives against the yankees and the most anxious to find them something in his voice and language indicated both education and position superior to his companions who evidently looked up to him as their leader calling him square and acquiescing readily when after the lapse of ten or fifteen minutes he suggested that they go higher up the mountain to a gorge where some of the fugitives had heretofore taken refuge five minutes more and the footsteps and voices were heard far up the mountain and will breathed more freely again and kneeling down in the pool of water thanked god who had turned the danger aside and kept him a little longer he did not dare leave the cave but he came out from under the rock and stretching himself upon the ground tried to wring and dry the tatters which hung so loosely upon him it was two days since he had tasted food and the long fast began to make itself felt in the keen pangs of hunger surely he could venture out toward the close of the day he thought and see if there were not berries growing in the ledges and when the sun was setting he crawled to the mouth of the cavern where just in the best place for him to see it lay a huge corn-cake and a slice of bacon wrapped nicely in a bit of paper how it came there he did not stop to ask that it was there was sufficient for him then and never had the costliest dinner served on massive silver tasted to him half so well as did that bit of bacon with the coarse cornbread refreshed and encouraged he went back to his hiding-place intending to start again on his perilous journey when the mountain path grew dark enough to warrant him in doing so but soon after the sunsetting a fearful storm came up and in the pitchy darkness of the cave will listened to the bellowing thunder roaring through the mountain gorges and saw from the opening the forked lightning which struck more than one tall tree near the place of his concealment fed by the rain which had fallen in torrents the stream under the projecting rock was beginning to rise and spread itself over the surface of the cave 
it was up to his ankles now and it rose so rapidly that will was thinking of leaving the cave and groping his way as well as he could to the westward when his quick ear caught the sound as of two or more persons coming stealthily up the mountainside whoever they were they seemed to move with the utmost caution and will's heart beat high as he hoped it might be some brother fugitive seeking the shelter of the cave the gleam of a lantern however and the same voice he had heard in the morning cursing the yankees so bitterly dispelled that illusion and in a tremor of terror he drew back in his watery quarters crawling in the darkness to the farthest end of the cavern and feeling the rising water flow over his knees as he waited for what might come next stay here charlie while i go in i know he must be here and if he isn't drowned by this time it's just a special providence that's all i have to say surely that was no unfriendly voice notwithstanding the oath of the morning but still will did not move until the stranger who evidently knew every turn and nook of the cavern was so near him that the light from the dark lantern fell full upon his face and betrayed him at once there was a thought of rose and the freedom he had almost regained and then forgetting the friendly tones will gave a low bitter moan and stretching out his hand said imploringly kill me here as well as anywhere and let the suspense be ended kill you my boy and the stranger spoke cheerily as he bent over poor will and rubbed his clammy hands what should i kill you for i've had my eyes on you ever since yesterday evening when i saw you creeping under the brushwood and knew you were hunting for this cave the refuge of safety i call it and it has proved so to many a poor devil who like yourself has taken shelter here i have never known one to fail of reaching the happy land when once they got so far as this so cheer up my man paul haverhill can swear a string of swears about the yanks which will reach from here to richmond if necessary and then when the hounds are thrown off the track he can turn round and save the poor hunted rascal's life you are among your friends so come out from this puddle you must be wetter than a rat there's a spring under the rocks and it rises in a rain so as to fill the cave sometimes here charlie give us that shawl his teeth are fairly chattering thus talking the stranger who had announced himself as paul haverhill led will out to where the boy charlie stood holding a bright plaid shawl in his hand and looking curiously at the worn drooping sorry figure emerging from the cave it was a woman's shawl we all knew but it was very soft and warm and he wrapped it closely round him for he was shaking with cold and his tattered garments were wringing wet very few words were spoken and those in a whisper as they went cautiously down the mountain until they reached what seemed to be a road winding among the hills this they did not follow but striking into the field or pasture land beside it kept to the right and at a safe distance from it lest some straggler might be abroad and meet them face to face will mather was enough acquainted with southern customs not to be surprised to find here in the mountain wilds a substantial and even handsome-looking building which with its white walls and green blinds seemed much like the farmhouses in new england there was a light shining from the windows and a woman's brisk step was heard as they went toward the door paul haverhill coughing to give warning of his approach all right was the password by which they entered and will soon stood in the wide hall which ran through the entire building and opened in the rear upon a broad piazza better take him to miss maud's room the woman said and will followed on to an upper chamber which he would have known at once belonged to a young lady it was not as elegantly furnished as his own sleeping apartment at home but it bore unmistakable marks of taste and refinement 
while the air of pure gentle womanhood which pervaded it brought rose very vividly before him this is my niece's room maud de vere mr haverhill explained when they were alone and will was drying himself before the fire kindled by the woman who had admitted them and who will saw was a mulatto my niece is not at home now he continued she is in south carolina has been gone several months on a visit to old judge turnbridge her mother's uncle i am her mother's brother and she and the boy charlie have lived with me since the first year of the war their father was captain de vere from north carolina and was killed at the first bull run nelly their mother never held up her head after that i was with her when she died and brought the children home maud is twenty now and charlie fourteen i am their guardian maud is union charlie sesesh but safe they have a great deal of property here and there though how it will come through the war the lord only knows will was glad to see that his host was inclined to talk on without waiting for answers and he kept quiet while mr haverhill continued i dare say you wonder to find a chap like me among people who are so bitter against you yankees and i sometimes wonder at myself i am south carolina born and ought to be foremost in the rebellion but hanged if i can see that it is right why i might as well set up a government of my own here on the oak plantation and refuse to come under any civilized laws mind though i don't think the south all wrong not a bit of it the north did bully us and the election of mr lincoln was particularly obnoxious to the majority here but we had no right to secede and you did your duty trying to drive us back for a spell i kept quiet didn't take either side or if i did i wanted the south to beat as all my interests are here but when our folks got to abusing their prisoners so shamefully and told so many lies by way of deceiving us fellows who live among the hills and only get the news once or twice a week i changed my politics and after the day when i found one of my neighbours and the best man that ever breathed too hung to a tree like a dog with the word abolitionist pinned to his coat i made a vow that every energy i had should be given to caring for and helping just such wretches as you and if i've helped one i've helped a thousand why at least a hundred have slept in this very room maud's room for as i told you she is union to the backbone and led one chap across the mountain herself she is a regular die vernon and is not afraid of the very devil when she went away she bade me put them in here as the room less liable to suspicion to the folks around me i am the roughest kind of a secessionist and i suppose nobody can beat me swearing about the yankees just to hoodwink em you know i suppose that's wrong my wife would say so she was a saint when she was here she is an angel now she died five years ago before the war broke out and lois the woman you saw has been my housekeeper since i shouldn't like the north to take her from me they tried it once when a squad of em ransacked my house and i was sick in bed maud threatened to blow their brains out and sir she would have done it too if the scamps hadn't let lois alone i don't agree with your folks on the nigger question though none of mine has run away since the proclamation which i did not like they know too they are free or will be when the yankees come for i took pains to tell them and gave them liberty to cut stick for the federal lines as soon as they pleased but they stayed and great help i find them in the business i'm carrying on they are constantly on the lookout for runaways or refugees and are quite as good as bloodhounds to scent one they told me about you and i watched and saw you go into that cave which is on my land and which few know about 
or if they do they think it a spring-hole and never dream that anybody can hide in there somebody else must have seen you too for word came that a man was hiding in the mountains and as the acknowledged leader of as hard a set as ever hunted a yankee i went with him to find you and carried in my pocket that bacon and corn-bread which i managed to drop into the cave when i sat with my back against it i knew you must be hungry and it might be some time before i could come to your aid we didn't find the chap but to-morrow they'll be at it again and so while i help em hunt for a man about your build you will stay in the room in lois's charge maud has a good many jimcracks here such as books and things which may amuse you she is coming home by and by the house is very different then you ought to see maud we are very proud of her that's her picture only not half so good-looking and he pointed to a small oil painting hanging above the mantel it was a splendid head and the glossy black hair bound about it in heavy braids gave it a still more regal look the eyes too were black but very soft and gentle in their expression though something about them gave the impression that they might flash and blaze brilliantly under excitement it was a beautiful face and will did not wonder that his host was proud of his niece prouder even than of the pale-faced delicate boy who next day while the hunt for the runaway went on among the mountains tried to entertain will mather by telling him of his old home in north carolina and how happy they were there before the war came and took his father away i don't see it in the light uncle paul and sister do charlie said i don't want them to catch and torment the prisoners or murder folks who don't think as they do but i do want our side to succeed and when i hear of a victory i say hurrah for the confederacy i can't help it when i think of father who was killed by the yankees and all the trouble the war has brought i'm willing to work like a dog for the refugees and prisoners and i'd die sooner than betray one but if i was a man i'd join mr davis's army sure the pale face of the boy was flushed all over and his dark eyes burned with southern fire as he frankly avowed his sentiments and will mather could not repress a smile at this noble specimen of a southern rebel i like you my boy for your frankness he said and when the war is over i shall have to send for you to come north and be cured of your treason it is not treason and the boy stamped his girlish foot it is not treason any more than the views held by the revolutionary soldiers didn't the colonies secede from england and does anybody call washington a traitor now i tell you it is success which decides the nature of the thing if we succeed future historians will speak of us as patriots as a persecuted people who gave our lives in defence of our homes and firesides you won't succeed my poor boy the confederacy is gasping its last breath you will be conquered at the last and then what have you gained nothing nothing but ruin and the tears poured over the white face of this defender of southern rights soon recovering himself however he exclaimed proudly we may be conquered but not subjugated you can't do that with all your countless hordes of men and your millions of money the north can never subjugate the south we may lay down our arms because we have no other alternative but we shall still think the same and feel the same way as we do now here was a curious study for will mather who was surprised to find such maturity of thought and so strong determination in one so young and frail no wonder it is hard to conquer a people composed of such elements he thought and he was about to continue the conversation when he was startled by a loud blast from a horn among the hills they've caught some one they always do that as a kind of exaltation 
the boy exclaimed wringing his hands and evincing as much distress as he had heretofore shown bitterness against the opposing party it was a poor refugee from a neighbouring county whom in spite of paul haverill's precautions they had found in a hollow tree and whom they brought more dead than alive down to the oak plantation amid vociferous cries of tar and feather him hang him to a sour apple tree give him a taste of the halter make him an example to all other sneakin yankee sympathizers with his face as white as marble and his lips set firmly together paul haverill stood in the midst of the noisy group which he tried to quiet let us try him by jury he said and something in his voice reassured the frightened haggard wretch who had seen his house burned down and his son shot before his very eyes and of course expected no mercy the trial by jury proved popular and then paul haverill suggested that a judge be chosen in the person of someone who had lost a near friend in the war and was of course competent to mete out full justice to the criminal charlie for instance and his eye fell on the boy who had joined the crowd and was standing close to the prisoner the boy caught his uncle's meaning at once and exclaimed yes let me be the judge my father was killed at bull run my mother died of grief surely i may decide charlie de vere was a favourite with the men who knew how staunch a confederate he was and waiving the trial for want of time they said charlie shall decide whether we hang drown whip or tar and feather the prisoner at the bar then with far more energy and fire than had characterised his vindication of the south charlie de vere pleaded for the criminal that they would let him go just this once for father's sake and mine and maud's he said and at the mention of maud the dark brows began to clear and the scowling faces grew more lenient in their expression for maud de vere was worshipped by the rough men of the mountains who though they knew her sympathies were on the union side made an exception in her favour and held her person and opinions sacred for her sake they would let their captive go giving him warning to leave the neighbourhood at once nor let himself be seen again in their midst while the war lasted and thus it chanced that will mather had a companion in his wanderings which were renewed the following day the boy charlie acting as guide through the most dangerous part of the way and at last bidding him good-bye with great tears in his eyes as he said i hope you won't be caught but i don't know the woods are full of our soldiers travel at night and hide through the day trust no one but the negroes and if you are captured ask for mercy in sister's name everybody knows maud de vere twenty eight the dead alive it was the night of the third of july the anniversary as she supposed of her husband's death and rose was sitting up unusually late she could not sleep for thinking of one year ago and the white-faced man who lay upon the battlefield with the rain falling upon him it was a clear starlight night and she leaned many times from her open window and looked up at the kindly eyes keeping watch above her but she did not see the figure coming down the street and up the walk to their own door the figure of a worn-out soldier who from the prison at salisbury had escaped to tennessee and had come from thence straight on until the midnight train dropped him at the rockland station the light was behind her and will saw her distinctly as he went up the avenue and he stopped a moment to look at her she was very pale and much thinner than when he saw her last but never even on her bridal day had she seemed so beautiful to him as then when leaning from her window and apparently listening for something it was the sound of his footsteps as he came up the walk which had attracted her attention 
and when it ceased so suddenly as he stopped under the trees she felt a momentary pang of fear for burglars had been very common in the town that summer possibly this was one of the robbers and rose was thinking of alarming the house when the figure emerged from under the shadow of the trees and came directly up beneath the window while a voice which made rose's blood curdle in her veins called softly rose darling is it you had the dead come back to life was that her husband's voice and that his step in the lower hall rose had supposed the front door bolted she had not heard it open and now when the steps sounded upon the stairs her heart gave one throb of fear as all the old superstitious stories of new england lore rushed to her mind perhaps on this anniversary of his death he had come back to see her and perhaps rose did not finish the sentence for the opening of her own door disclosed the wasted figure of a man wearing the army blue his face very pale but lighted up with perfect joy as he stretched his arms toward the shrinking woman by the window and said come to me darling i am no ghost then she went to him but uttered no sound her heart was too full for that and seemed bursting from her throat as she laid her head upon the bosom of her husband and felt his arms around her waist and neck her stillness frightened him it was so unlike her and lifting her from the floor he took her in his lap and said to her speak to me rose let me hear your voice once more you thought i was dead and you've been so sorry yes killed at gettysburg came gaspingly at last and then a storm of tears and kisses fell upon will's face and rose's arms were thrown about his neck as she tried to tell him how great was her joy to have him back again i have been so lonely she said for everybody is gone jimmy and danny and poor tom too is a prisoner at last so mother and i are all alone except just then it occurred to her that her husband had no suspicion of the great joy in store for him how shall i tell him she thought and her eyes went from his face to the basket and chair where baby's clothes were lying the little white dress with its shoulder knots of blue the flannels and the soft wool socks were all there in plain sight will saw them too as his eye followed rose's rose tell me what is that what does it mean he asked and then without a word rose led him into the adjoining room where in his crib slumbered her beautiful boy their beautiful boy rather he was hers alone no longer for the father was there now and the happiest moment he had ever known was that when he knelt by his baby's cradle and felt how much he had for which to thank his maker he could not wait till morning before he heard the sound of his first-born's voice and he took him at once in his arms every pulse thrilling with pride and exquisite delight as he felt the soft baby hands in his own and looked into the beautiful dark eyes which met his so wonderingly as baby awoke and gazed up into his face it was not afraid of him and rose almost danced with joy as she saw its smile in his father's face and then turned slyly away it was so terrible till baby came last christmas she said beginning to explain how they believed him dead and how much she had suffered even baby did not make me glad as it ought she continued for i could not forget how happy you would have been to come home and find him here and now you've come god is very very good i love him now will better i hope than i love you or baby or anything i've given baby to him and given myself too but he had to punish me so hard before i would do it 
then together the reunited couple knelt and thanked the father who had remembered them so mercifully and asked that henceforth their lives might be dedicated to his service and all they had be subject to his will there was no more sleep in the mather mansion that night for by the time mrs carleton and the servants had recovered from their surprise and joy the early morning was red in the east and the sun was just beginning to show the returned soldier how pleasant and beautiful his home was looking the people of rockland had not intended to have much of a celebration on that fourth of july the churchyard was too full of soldiers graves and the war clouds were still too dark over the land while the battle of the wilderness where so many had perished was too fresh in their minds to admit of much festivity but when it was known that will mather had come home the town was all on fire with excitement every bell was rung and the cannon of bill baker memory bellowed forth its welcome while in the evening impromptu fireworks attested to the people's delight then followed many days of delicious quiet in which will told his wife and mother the story of his wanderings but said very little of his life in salisbury that was something he could not mention without a shudder and so he passed it over in silence choosing rather to tell of his journey across the mountains where so many friendly hands had been stretched out to help him he had every name upon paper and was only waiting for an opportunity to show his gratitude in some tangible form especially was he grateful to paul haverell whose name became a household word together with that of charlie and maud de vere of her rose thought so often wishing she could see her and resolving when the war was over either to write at once or go all the way to the mountains of tennessee to find her poor tom she often sighed if he could only fall into so friendly hands but everything pertaining to tom was shrouded in gloom the last they heard he was in columbia while jimmy still pined in andersonville if indeed he had not died amid its horrors exchanged prisoners were constantly arriving at annapolis where both mrs sims and annie were and every letter from the latter was eagerly torn open by rose in hopes that it might contain some news of her brothers but there was none and the mourning garments which with her husband's return were exchanged for lighter airier ones seemed only laid aside for a few weeks until word should come that one or both of her brothers were in the dead whose graves were far away beneath a southern sky End of chapters 27 and 28